the 19th Psalm. We're going to be using your Bible, especially at the beginning of the message, quite a bit. Make it a habit to follow along. Open your Bibles, look at them, read them. You need to get the Bible in you through your eyes, through the ears, all the different ways. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath He set a tabernacle for the sun which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his error? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then will I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. A powerful psalm, isn't it? I want to speak to you this evening on the subject, God's book, the Holy Bible. God's book, the Holy Bible. And uh, sometimes that which is most foundational to what's important is that which is easiest to take for granted. The very uh, immutability, the very uh, steadfastness of something such as the Bible can cause us to take it for granted because we know it's there. We know it's the same. We know it doesn't change. And therefore, we can just say, okay, there it is. And we just take it for granted that it's there. And uh, tonight, I want to, by the Word of God, cause our minds to think about what a great thing we have in the Word of God and realize that the book that so many of you tonight have in your lap, and by the way, you ought to thank God you can attend a church where Bibles are opened and the Scripture's read. And we know what the Scripture is. It isn't Book of the Month Club when you come here. And uh, when, you, when you have that Bible open, you need to realize you actually have the words of the living God. 
And we need to walk in the power of that. God's book, the Holy Bible. The word Bible means book. That's what it means. Biblos means book. Um, the Holy Bible means it's a holy book. I'm not going to go into technical detail and stuff tonight. That's not the point of the message. But you do understand that the book that we call the book, God's book, the Holy Bible, is actually a compilation of 66 different books. A good number of them were letters written and preserved by God to this very day. We have them. What an amazing thing that is. That book you have in your possession represents approximately 1,500 years time span from when you have the first writings by Moses to when you have the final writings in about 90 to 92 A.D., the book of Revelation, the conclusion of it. So about 1,500-year span of time of the actual writings. The history it covers obviously covers a lot more than that. And in fact, goes as only this book can into the actual eternity. Within this, as far as human penmen, there are 39 or 40 human penmen involved in the writing of this. Um, if you spent time around books, if books had been a major part of your life as they have been mine, you would know how startling what I just told you is. <laughs> to have a book that was birthed and given to mankind over 15 centuries with at least 39 people involved in it. And when you read it, it reads as one volume by one author. That is completely startling just from a literary perspective. And yet it is because it is written by one author. Amen. And to this author, God, it only took about a day and a half. <laughs> a thousand years is one day. And, uh, and so thank God for the Bible. I'm glad I have a Bible. There were a lot of good things I was taught early on in my Christianity. And I think some things are inherent to actually being born again of the Spirit of God. There are certain tendencies you have. I believe that even, even as my appearance, some of my physiological traits, even some of my, my mental traits are attributable to my genetics, uh, some things it's convenient to blame on that. But uh, they, they're attributable to genetics and... Uh, and uh, certainly have the hereditary markers of some things in our lives, both for good and for bad at times. I believe, because of what the Scripture teaches me, that those who are truly born again by the Spirit of God have certain, uh, you have certain hereditary markers in you that a child of God has. There are certain things which are inherent to those who actually have the Spirit of God. Now, in addition to that, and one, one of those things, by the way, is, is an appetite for the Word wanting to learn it. I'm interested. I've, there's a couple of people recently, and I say recently, I want to say within the last couple of years, um, a couple of people just come to mind for me here, that I, as I talked to the person, wasn't quite sure where they were spiritually. I found out if I started to quote Scripture in the conversation, if I started to say, well, here's what the Bible teaches about that, I was greeted with this sort of reaction where they leaned forward, where there was an intensity in them. There was a hunger there for the Word of God, indicating either that God was doing a work on their heart that was leading them to a place 
of repentance where they should receive Christ or that God has already done the work and they belong to the Lord, but there's an appetite for the Word of God. Now, when you add to that teaching, it's a good thing. And one of the things I was taught by my pastor, Brother Jeff Nichol, right away was that this Bible can be trusted. And that's King James Bible in my hand. And I was taught that, that you go to the Bible. You authenticate everything with the Bible. You study the Bible. When I was called to preach, he took me and he opened immediately to the Scripture. And uh, if any man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. He opened to the Scripture. As soon as I told him, I believe God's called me to preach, he didn't ask me how I knew this or that. He, I, I still remember how he was sitting. I was standing up. He was sitting towards the back of the church auditorium. And I said, Brother Jeff, I believe that the Lord's called me to preach. He looks up at me, opens the Bible. If any man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Reads that down. And then tells me what I'm supposed to do next. <laughs> it's just that simple. All right, you're preaching two weeks from now, nursing home. Go see Russ Hayes about that. And here, in other words, you say you have a calling. Here's what the Bible says about it. Now go do it. Pretty straightforward. I like that. And uh, taught that this Bible was real. I graduated from Bible college. Finished undergraduate degree. A, a graduate degree. I come home from Bible college. And, we're meeting in the Vonderhaar Farm, uh, in the barn out of Vonderhaar Farms. Don't think of a barn like where you put hay as a barn that was used for activities and gatherings and such that they would rent out that was on their property. And uh, at the end of the first service, he started asking me certain questions. I've come there as, this, as the assistant pastor. And, uh, of course, I got saved under his ministry, called to preach under his ministry. And um, done with Bible college. He never went to Bible college. He never felt threatened by that, by the way. And uh, you've heard him preach. You have some idea. The man has an encyclopedic biblical knowledge. And uh, he sat there and he asked me several tough questions right away. And uh, I'm sitting there and I answered as best I could. And he says, huh, just like that. I still remember this first service after we get there. And he takes the book, takes the Bible. He puts it in front of me. He said, all right, you've been through college and everything. He goes, how much of what you believe would you believe if that's the only book you ever had? So that's how he set me off as a teenager, and that's how he walked me in the head when I come back. I believe the Bible. That which I was taught early, I've been convinced of through the decades. Thank God we have a Bible. I'm glad I have a Bible. I don't understand everything about this Bible. I cannot expound everything in this Bible. There are certain fields of study, if you will, or areas of, of study and doctrine of the Bible which I'm stronger in than others. I'm not a big prophecy man. I, uh, I believe certain things about it, and the Lord's, I believe, touching my heart to maybe give you a little more than I have been on that. I think there's a timing for that in the church now. But even as I go forward in that, you're going to find out that I'm not a, I'm certainly not a date setter, only that's a, sign, that's a foolish person. But I also, these, some folks will lay everything out, and the real good ones can even draw charts. <laughs> and I'm not one of those. I just, I, I don't pretend to be. I know he's coming back. I know he's coming back. I know he's calling us out of here. I know he's coming back. I know there's going to be a thousand years of Christ upon this earth. I know eternity's a long time. I know a little bit more than all that. And uh, I'll tell you about it. I know there's a kingdom that's going to be set up upon this earth. 
with a one-world ruler. We're quickly going to that. He's called the Antichrist. We found that the spirit of Antichrist was already working in the days of the apostles. But Antichrist will come. I, I believe there's been a man ready to step into that position, chosen of Satan for that in each generation. That's like uh, some of the men were looking at book in my office and we're going into prayer meeting and we're talking about the Fuhrer principle and how that applied to Germany and the Reich and that and that. We'll go into discussion about that. But that, that spirit that was behind that is the spirit of Antichrist. Uh, that looking, looking for a one world leader and there's a cry to unify, to unify, to get together that wars and all troubles are caused because of, uh, uh, because of uh, differences. Isn't it funny? Same people do that. Also scream about diversity. They're as confused as a termite and a yo-yo. They don't know what they're doing. And, uh, and yet the one world leader I do know there will be a one-world religion. And certainly that's been you know, pushed for years. The National Council of Churches, the World Council of Churches, uh, the different ecumenical movements that try to bring about people who don't believe the same thing and pretend like we do. And uh, those who won't play their game have always been on the outside of that. Uh, we know that's coming. We know there's a numbering system coming that will involve identification. Of course, we know biometrics now, so that's not a new thing for us. When I first started preaching, that was totally startling to think about. And, uh, but yet, it will be identified by a mark on the hand, or on the, on the forehead. They just had a, just finished a, a trial run on that in our country. They're going to hit us again with it, I think. But they just finished a trial run on that in our country, so when they do that, well, see, the thing is, without the mark, you can't buy or sell. So there's certain things mandated. If you don't do them, you can't conduct business. And it's teaching you to be a part of what's coming. And uh, I expect a little trouble when I start teaching on these things clearly. Not from you all. And uh, if it does, some of you, that's fine. That just means you need it. And I mean that not in a taunting way. I mean that uh, very seriously. But I expect trouble in the spiritual realm with that. We live in a spiritually dark city. And uh, there's certainly a strong demonic presence here. But yet, God wants us to do work and He wants us to follow Him and there's great things He wants to do. Uh, he, came, uh, he came and got me where I was. Brought the Gospel to me. There's a lot of people around here He'd like to bring the Gospel to and a lot of good can be done. And so, God's book... I'm glad to have God's book. Start talking about God's book, you can go anywhere with it, can't you? Do you know why that is? Because it applies to every aspect of life. Absolutely does. But let me talk to you about some things about God's book. Let me guide you to some scripture to help you tonight. I have a very distinct purpose that I believe God wants with the preaching tonight. I believe He wants you to leave here very confident that your Bible is God's Word. Very confident that you can trust the Bible. I believe God wants you to understand that you don't have to be able to explain all of it. And if someone wants to chide you, wants to harass you a little, or wants to try to make you feel as if you don't know anything about what you believe because you can't explain all of it, that they're on a very false premise. I've never been called to, uh, and God didn't send me to understand everything in the Bible. 
And I think I've earned the right among you folks. You know I'm a student. I study. The single biggest labor and time investment I put my life into is studying to feed this flock. Everything else, everything else is subordinate to that. And as a student of the Word of God, and as a, as a, as a God-called preacher who is apt to teach, who has been given a gifting to do that so I can feed the flock of God, there are entire areas, as I mentioned to you, the Bible I cannot expound. I said, suspicion there will be parts you won't either. I've not been called to explain it all. I've been called to obey what I know. And to live it. To honor God. And let all my things be done with charity. Because that's the end of God's commandment. That's what the purpose of it all is. And so with that said, I want to show you some things about God's holy book. First of all, I want to talk to you about the origin of it. I'm not going to go into manuscript evidence, lines of manuscripts, and all that sort of thing. Certainly there's, there's a place for that, but that's not what I'm doing tonight. I'm just going to give you the Word of God about the Word of God because there's nothing more powerful I can give you and nor should give you. 2 Timothy 3, familiar passage, part of it. Some of you would have almost guessed I'd be there at some point in this type of a message. You would have been correct, obviously. But I want to take time tonight for you to see the context of some verses that are quoted often because they do show that God has given His words. But the context, in other words, how they fit in and where they are where they are in the Bible is really important. I want you to see the background against which against which the verses that tell us that God inspired his word, I want you to see the background of those verses and what, what they were dealing with at the time. Second Timothy three, and we're going to begin verse ten. It says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine. Notice the things that have been known. This being addressed to Timothy originally. who's was a preacher that had been saved under Paul's ministry who Paul appointed to minister in certain areas. He says, But thou hast known full, fully known my doctrine. So he said, You knew my doctrine. Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. He said, you knew these things about me. You've seen them. You've walked with me. Persecutions. Afflictions. Which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. In the one place there, at Lystra, they stoned him and left him for dead. It got that severe. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, in all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The Bible talks about everything from outright physical persecution to cruel mockings. You're going to live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to have persecution. You're going to live like a worldling, you're not going to have persecution, you'll have chastisement. And so here, here is how it goes. Verse 13, then look at the situation given here. But evil men and seducers, those who would draw you away from truth and those who would take you down a, down a trail, shall wax worse and worse. In other words, it will increase. 
deceiving and being deceived. They, they deceive and then they are deceived and the deception goes worse. What do we do during that time? What was, what was the instruction given to Timothy? During the time of all these things and during this situation, it says, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. You say, well, what do you do during these times and possible persecution and these things going on? What you do is you keep doing what you know to do that's right. Very straightforward. Then, verse 15, here's where great confidence comes from. And that from a child. Now, this is from the time you were very young. That from a child, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Now, the word Scripture is that which is written. It's another name for your Bible. Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I'll say more about it in a moment, but that's the theme of the Bible. It's to bring you to a knowledge of Christ so you can know Him, and through Him you can have eternal life. And he says to Timothy, evil men are going to get worse, deceivers are going to get worse, you're going to have these situations, but you keep doing what you've been taught to do because you've known since you were young what the Scripture teaches. It's a great advantage to have that. Then, as a confirmation of the reliability of the situation, verse 16, all Scripture. Notice, please, the same word. It's a singular collective form there, all Scripture, dealing with the Scriptures, and it's calling it, it's a singular term for a group with it. Notice in verse 15, the Holy Scriptures, the writings. Notice he had those Holy Scriptures when he was young. He could handle them. He read them. They were read to him. He possessed them. Not one of those which Timothy would have had would have been an original manuscript of anything in the Old Testament. Not one. Non-existent in his time. The original manuscripts for the Old Testament were completely non-existent by the time Timothy was there. And yet in the Bible, they're called Holy Scriptures in verse 15. Then in verse 16, same word, referring to the same thing. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. I said to you this morning, some of you were in the other services, but I said I don't hesitate to point up my King James Bible and say there's the divinely inspired Word of God. And some people like to just lose their minds. Oh, double inspiration. And hope you have a good day. Maybe get you some iced tea. Get yourself calmed down. You'll be all right. Um, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And look at what this Scripture is. It's profitable. It brings about a desire to expect it in and does good. It's profitable. For what is it profitable? It's profitable for doctrine. Our doctrine is to be derived from the Word of God. It is, uh, it is profitable for reproof. It is supposed to correct us. It is profitable for correction, for instruction in righteousness, learning how to live that which we're supposed to live. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So we see the origin of the Scripture is God Himself, not man. Very important. Um, these are, this, this is God's book. It's not like any other book. 
uh, it is uh, it is origin is God. Second Peter will tell you another thing. Turn there if you will. Second Peter one. Show you something else with this. Second Peter chapter one. Now remember, I want you to understand from the Word of God you have a book that you can trust. I also want you to understand from the Word of God that you don't have to have mastered that book or understand everything about it or know how it all fits together. That is not what's at issue. Second Peter chapter 1. Look in verse 16. For we have not followed, look at the phrase, cunningly, you understand that means with uh, skill and dexterity here, it's the language dexterity. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, a made up story that teaches a moral lesson. We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So we're not making this up. We're telling you reality. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory, this is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now it's interesting. Well, I was in Bible college in Houston, Texas. Nelson D. Trick, who was our... Notice the last name, Trick. There was a lot to be learned from that. He was certainly a tricky customer. He was uh, my Old Testament, New Testament, what they call Old Testament survey, New Testament survey teacher. And the survey class is just getting an overview before you go more deeply into the books. It's a good way of teaching the Bible. Uh, that that methodology is. Nelson Trick got up in New Testament survey and said, well, scholarship and, and our, our uh, later learning has taught us that First and Second Peter are probably of non-Petrian authorship. What's that gobbledygook mean? Well, it is gobbledygook. And what it means is that Peter didn't write the book of Peter even though it says so. And when you boil it down that easy... It's hard to pass that off. When you slick it up with the right words, you can sell it. Um, sort of like putting a new paint job on an old jalopy. It's still an old jalopy. And he said it's of non patron authorship. Well, he had all his uh, stuff he'd read on it. and I uh, raised my hand in class and went to this passage. Look what it says in verse 17 again. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mountain. That's what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. That's a term we use just because the Bible says he was transfigured before them. In other words, Christ was changed over and they got a glimpse into glory. There were three people besides Jesus. I'm not talking about Elijah and Moses who appeared with him in the glory world. But there were three people 
on that mountain who heard this. Do you know who the three people were? Peter, James, and John. Let's see. That would be God's book one, Nelson Dietrich zero. And uh, I read that to him. He goes, yes, I see that's what it says. And I said, Mr. Trick, what if we let God be true and every man a liar? And he said, well, you can if you want to. And I said, well, there you go. Well, I was a young, brash preacher then. Um, I wanted to let God be true and every man a liar. I'm an older, more matured, more experienced preacher now. My want to hasn't changed. God said it. He said, boy, that's simplistic, preacher. Don't you wish you had the security of simplicity in your life? God can give you that. The complexities of the manifold paths of destruction that our sin has led to need a very simple cure. Faith in God. Trust in His Word. And this is what He gives. And so he's referring here to this mount where Christ was changed over. Jesus had said right before they went up on the mountain, He said, there stand some of you here who will not die until they've seen the kingdom come with power. I always wondered about that verse. Early on as a Christian, I thought, well, they all died. The Lord hasn't returned from heaven yet, but that's not what He said. What happened the very next passage, He takes into this mountain and Moses is there and Elijah's there and he's transfigured his glorified body. They got to see it ahead of time. Oh, okay. <laughs> when you just read it, look what goes together, it solves a lot of the mystery. That's what that's referring to. That'd be quite a thing, wouldn't it? Can you imagine hearing that voice? You remember a cloud came and overshadowed him? They actually entered into the cloud. It came in, huh? We've been in mountainous areas in the East Coast. We've never been out to the Western countries and the real mountains, but the, the ones that are afforded in the Smokies. It was funny when we went away and we were down Gatlinburg, we got out the one morning. I took uh, Bradley and Rowan. We went out to the uh, uh, end of the little walkway where we stayed at this condominium and you could see out over the mountains. And, and uh, there, the, the fog was as it is on there and the clouds, you know, in the morning. And, and uh, Roman said, man, it looks like things are on fire over there. And it's so funny. Bradley turned around to his little finger. He goes, Happy. That's why they call them the Smoky Mountains, isn't it? And I said, <laughs> you can't jump fast, kid. And uh, so he, he made a great discovery uh, while we were down there. But that cloud entered in, surrounded them, and uh, came around them, and they heard a voice. They heard a voice from heaven. It's my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. That's the same type of thing that was said whenever Jesus was baptized and came up out of the water. And the, and the Holy Spirit as a dove came and settled on him. And uh, it said also, hear ye him. And of course, when, when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were on. And it was just Jesus. He was returned back to his normal state. And uh, Peter, it was interesting, said, not knowing what to say, he said. <laughs> Peter, he didn't have a clue what to say, so he said something. And he said, it's good for us to be here, Lord. Let's build three tabernacles and one to you, one to Moses, one to Elijah. And, and so anyway... They didn't do that. They came down off the mountain and found that there was a devil-possessed boy that the other disciples could not cast the devil out of and needed Jesus' touch. Can't stay up in the glory world all the time. You've got to come down to the gory world sometimes. Get your hands dirty with what's going on. Isn't that truth? So let's go on with this. And he says, um, <clears throat> I'll begin in verse 18 again. And this voice 
which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the Holy Mount. Then watch this and look how strong this is now, if you understand the context. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Wow. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth where, church? You see it? Where does it shine? Dark place. Think our world would be in a dark place right now? Think our nation would be a dark place? Our town? I believe so. A light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. A reference to Christ there. That day star right before dawn breaks out. Knowing this first, here's what you need to get in order. That no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. One person did not give it. It didn't come through the hands of a man. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Man didn't think it up. He didn't imagine it. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's why the natural man receiveth not things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. And what happens is, the Holy Spirit, who is the author of the Scripture, when a person is saved, he dwells inside a saved person, and you may ask for God to give you wisdom and to open the Scripture. And He is the best teacher that there is on the, on the Scripture. Um, I believe in the origin of the Scripture, I believe this to be God's Word. Not man's Word, God's Word. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty picky about it. Even in the way people phrase things. There are certain words or phraseology people use. I had a cousin who used to say, he's since passed, but he, had, he used to say, yeah, the Bible contains the wisdom of the ages. And I, I, took, uh, I took umbrage with that statement. I, I, I would correct that statement. I said, no, it doesn't. It's not right. <laughs> Usher's book of civilized world and the history of the world has some wisdom of the ages in it. Writings of Josephus have wisdom of ages in it. Doesn't have wisdom of the ages. This is God's word. He who is the ancient of days is not confined to ages. God didn't accumulate what he knows because of the experience of man. And so I uh, I take exception to some things. Well, you know, and we'll say this, Paul said or Peter said, and I understand that. We understand the context. It's very easy to say. I'm not even sure it's a completely a malicious or incorrect thing to say at times because they did say it or they wrote it. And we understand that God's the author behind it or those who understand the Bible do or understand the origin of the Bible. But sometimes people say, well, you know, that's a, his personality is what brought that out. No, God fitted a vessel. I just believe this is God's Word. I can't even explain to you today how everything about that interacts with the day-by-day living and, and the establishment of our faith. Sort of like when you try to follow the line of God's people from the days of the apostles to our current day, when you try to follow that thing historically, especially since most writers of church history are either Catholic, outright Catholic, or heavily Catholic-influenced, you lose the stream along the way. But I do know the Bible said that the, the, the faith would be passed down. And I do know we possess 
A faith now that believes the Bible is actually the Word of God, believes that salvation is by grace, believes in soul liberty, that I have a, a high priest named Jesus Christ, I don't have to go through another man as a mediator, that believes these things, that believes in baptism by immersion for those who have received Christ, and that believes in so many of these details that are derived from the Scripture, and God has always had those people. They didn't disappear for a while and then reappear. Just because history doesn't track something does not mean it did not exist. Suppose you were to live 50 years from now and you were to go back and look at this time frame of our nation right now and all you gleaned your information from with things which are being written now, things which are being put out in media now, can you understand that your take on what the American people believed would be different than what it really is for many millions of American people? Would you realize that the workings of God would not be listed there? And so it's always been with history. <laughs> the devil forever tries to erase the past and distort the future. Because one of the fundamental things in his game plan is to take your life out of context. If he can take your thinking and your life out of context, you will go further and further into outlandish and perverse thoughts and actions. When it's secured within context, there's a stabilization to that. There's a conviction to that. There's something that keeps you solid. The Word of God, of course, is at the root of this. Then let me say you about the preservation, meaning that it was kept. A lot, of, a lot of interesting study on that. Fox's Book of Martyrs is an interesting book. If you can read it all in one setting, you're a stronger constitution than I am because it chronicles those who gave, given their lives for the faith of Christ. And you start reading all the things that were done and how some of the atrocities and butchering that was done by religious people against those who actually believe the Bible. It's, it's rough to go through it. An even larger volume and even more descriptive at times is a book entitled uh, The Martyr's Mirror. It's a very large book and uh, chronicles a lot of things. There are more uh, recent publications put out by the voice of the martyrs and some of these things of people who are being martyred for their faith now. I mean now. Now. And within the recent years whether it be by certain groups of the Hindus or Muslims and even Catholics in certain countries when they can get away with it. And so you read these things and it's interesting. Known men who have where they travel and they'll have old Bibles, they have histories, they have things that help you understand that you carry your Bible or you forget it or you lay it down or whatever and yet there are people who have... have paid with their blood just to own a portion of the Scripture that you and I have. Right now, right now in your nation, there are people who very much want to get this book where it's illegal. Do you understand that the pervert sodomite community, if they get their way, that if I were to read without comment Romans chapter 1 and the Genesis account of Sodom and Gomorrah 
if they got their way, and I'm talking about active things, and it's been going on for a while, it's just picking up speed under our current perverse interloper that's in the White House. And if they had their way, reading those without comment would constitute a felony. It's hate speech. We sit back complacently and play at church and play at beliefs and live worldly. This summer, in the heat of summer, there will be many professing Christian people who strip down to nothing more than their underclothing and lay around out in the public together because they call it a pool. God help us. Not much strong Christianity left. And so these things. And the fact that that would even startle you that a pastor would say that tells how far we've degraded. Went down. Look even upon that which shouldn't be. It's called nakedness in the Bible. We live in such a perverted time that has to mean every... Every vestige of clothing gone, and that's not it. The exposure of the, of the area uh, between the knee and, and up in here, the exposure of that is called nakedness in the Bible. It's reserved only for a husband and wife. It's not to be on public display. This is God's book. We're to be God's people. But God's preserved His Word. He's given us His Word. He's preserved it. It speaks to its continuing authenticity. Look in Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. See, I just happen to love you all enough to speak plainly to you. Because there really is a judgment seat of Christ coming when you and I will look in the eyes of the Lord Jesus and we will give account for what we do. And I will inform you and I will beg you and I will instruct you and I will even rebuke you when it's appropriate. But you will decide, just like I will decide and my wife will decide and my grown boys will decide, and their wives and my grandchildren, you will decide what you do with the truth that's given. But I must stand clear before my God. And I must finish my course as I started telling the truth. The mark of someone loving you well is when they will tell you the truth. Not out of the heat of emotion, not out of anger, not out of trying to make you conform to what they think, but here's the truth as it is in Christ. And as God's people, here's how to live and here's how we're supposed to be. God has preserved His Word. Proverbs chapter 30. What does that mean? That means that the Bible we have now is something we can trust and it's something we can put our strength on. We can, we can, we can thank God for it and we can be glad about it. Proverbs chapter 30. 
Look please, if you will, in verse 5. Every word of God, look at it church, is pure. I'm glad about that. Haven't all of us have any age on us at all? Haven't we uh, said some things we wish, we wish we could pull back? Maybe it's tone. Maybe the very words themselves. Maybe a hurtful situation. Haven't we done that? You know, God's never had to do that. His words are pure. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we kept growing and becoming more like Lord Jesus and more and more of our words would stay pure and used for edifying so we wouldn't have to live in regret from what's been said? I say this not jokingly with you. You do know that the, the best wisdom when it comes to speech sometimes is not to use it. When you feel within yourself the welling up of the violence of emotion, it's a good time to close the gate. The gate. The gate of the lips. And say, we'll let that pass. For certainly a lot of malice and mischief can be done. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. And that word is a shield with that. I'm not turning you to each of these. In Luke chapter 4, we found that the Word of God is to be regarded as essential as our food. Jesus said that, didn't He? Man shall not live by bread alone. Well, you need food to live. Now, young guys down here, listen to me. You don't have to have it every two hours to live, okay? It's kind of nice when you get a little snack every couple hours, but you can live longer than that, right? You don't want to go much longer. We don't want to lose any of it. But uh, the Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone. We do need it but by every word proceedeth from the mouth of God. And so we need it. It's essential. Uh, in Romans 10.17, we find that faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. That's, that's how faith is born. That's how faith is nurtured and matured. is by the Word of God. It's essential to us. It's preserved. The preservation of its error. Matthew 24.35, Mark 13.31, and Luke 21.33 all record these words that Jesus spoke. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. <laughs> and here I am over 2,000 years since he said that, giving you his words, perfectly preserved and brought into our English language. Now that's an amazing thing, isn't it? <laughs> Psalm 12, 6 and 7 shows us that the, that the Lord purifies and keeps his word that the Lord takes care of it from generation to generation. Truly, as the Scripture states, the Word of the Lord endures forever. And it's not diminished as it endures, but it's as strong as it ever was. And thank God for it. Then let me say that the God's book, the Holy Bible, has an emphasis. It's a central person and theme. It's kind of interesting. As a preacher, it's, it's kind of a... Oh, it's not really humorous, but it is, it is educational. Sometimes people, and I mean, they do this in, uh, some of y'all do this in a good spirit, but you uh, express a little concern, maybe I should emphasize this more, that more, you know. I need to preach against this, or I need to preach that, you know, and you'll kind of come around. Most of you have been around here long enough, you don't come real out real directly and say it, because that usually doesn't end well. But 
You kind of nudge around the edge with it. You kind of, you're kind of like a spiritual tugboat trying to get me into the harbor you want me into. Preacher, you think we need this? And you know, really, I really don't, I don't mind that. I mean, I don't want to hear it five times in the same week, but um, it gets annoying. But it is, uh, every now and then it's okay. Why? Because it may, it may lead my thinking to something that you're seeing and you've got some insight on that I could benefit from and seeing the state of the flock. Now, if you're trying to sick me on somebody, that's not going to work. That literally happens. Uh, <laughs> I can give you illustrations on that one. But can I say to you the great emphasis of the Bible, there's so much to teach about the Bible, that as you start growing, you start trying to teach and feed the milk and the meat of the Word, and so many Bible subjects and so many chapters to get into and so much basic Bible. And I'm really convinced that if you get the Bible in you and you get a love for the Bible and you start actually having the Bible become a part of your life and your regard for the Bible goes up and is evidenced by your interaction with it, I believe that the purification processes will happen and the things in your life will get better and your behavior patterns and you'll be convinced and convicted of things that need to change. I believe the Holy Spirit can do that. You're God's people. So I have a great urgency to teach the Word and not preach about the Bible, but preach the Bible. And so I'm seeking to do that. The Bible has a central theme, a certain central person and a central theme. I don't think anybody would be surprised that that's Jesus Christ. He is the central theme. He is the center of everything in the Bible. In John chapter 5.39, Jesus looked at some Jewish people who were looking to snare Him and different things. and He sent them back to their Scripture. He sent them back to the Old Testament that they had. They prided themselves, right then is when you knew they were in trouble, but they prided themselves in being heirs of Abraham and heirs of Moses. They prided themselves of being the children of Abraham. And they prided themselves of following the writings of Moses. So much so that their focus had become Abraham and Moses instead of the God who formed Abraham and Moses. Do you realize the first time the Ten Commandments were given, that Moses didn't even write those or chisel those out? The finger of God wrote those. And after he came down off the mountain and broke those tablets and went back up, then he had a chiseling job to do. God said, I wrote it once, now you're going to write it. And that's what he did. <laughs> but Jesus sent the, those talking to him back to their Scripture. Old Testament. Nothing New Testament. New Testament was happening right then. It wasn't written. And he said to them, search the Scriptures. Do a thorough study. Look diligently in it. Search the Scriptures. He says this to the Jewish people. For in them, in the Scriptures, you think you have eternal life. He said, go search the Scriptures. That's what you trust in for your eternal life. In them you think you have eternal life. And they, the Scriptures, are they which testify of me. Jesus stood bodily before them and said, Go search your Old Testament and find out it's talking about me. He was not afraid to declare who he was. And that he is the emphasis of Scripture. Okay, preacher, we get that. Why is that so important? Because it is the key to understanding any Scripture. You... 
in the person of in him are all the mysteries and all the wisdom of God. The knowledge of God is in Christ. And when you look at the Bible in context of Christ, it will open the doors of understanding for you with it. Whether you're studying the Old Testament to look at what those things meant, or whether you're studying the, the epistles given to the churches, or whether you're reading prophecy, whether it be from Daniel or Ezekiel or Revelation, when you go looking for Christ, is not Revelation, is not the name that's given in the Bible itself, the revelation of Jesus Christ? what it is then in uh, Luke 24 Jesus in resurrected form meets with the two disciples walking on the road to the town of Emmaus the village of Emmaus and he begins to talk to him inquiring about why they're sad they start telling him about the crucifixion what all had happened about Jesus who they had believed on who they'd been following how he had died and he had been dead these number of days and now they were startled because some people went to the tomb and said they'd seen him alive and they were frankly quite confused. As Jesus walked along and they did not know who he was. The Bible says their eyes were holding that they should not know him. God wouldn't allow them to see who they were talking to at that time. Look at what Jesus did with those, those people at that transition. And in, uh, in Luke 24 verse 27 it says this about what Jesus did as he walked with them. By the way, after a rebuke, O oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that is written. He said, your problem's a heart problem, not an intellect problem. Then, in Luke 24, 27, it says, in beginning at Moses, you understand that's talking about the first five books of the Bible. Because Moses was a human penman used to write those. In beginning at Moses and all the prophets, all of them, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Malachi, Nahum, Habakkuk, all of them. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded, which means he took what was there and brought it out and brought it to light, which follows the pattern for good teaching and preaching that's found in Nehemiah chapter 8. He expounded unto them all, all, in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself when he had asked them what had happened at Jerusalem, and they gave him their, their account, he rebuked them and said, Oh fools and slow of heart to believe all that is written. He starts back at Genesis and does an exposition overview of all the Scripture and says, here's what this was about, 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 it's all about this. And then of course later their eyes were opened. Uh, <laughs> their eyes were opened. Um, There's an overarching characteristic for us to learn in the Bible. Charity is that overarching characteristic. It's, it, it, it's what brings everything else together. 1 Corinthians 13.13 13 says this, And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. Those three things. It talks about knowledge failing. It talks about tongue ceasing and all that. But it says now abideth. Those, that which is actually going to last. Faith, hope, and charity. But the greatest of these is charity. That is the great overarching characteristic for us to learn and, and, and to grow in. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 14 says this, Let all your things be done with charity. I quoted that earlier. Colossians 3.14 says, And above all these things, now notice the terminology, above these things, above these things, this is what's first. Above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. 1 Timothy 1.5 Now the end of the commandment, 
what it's built for is charity out of a pure heart, of a good conscience, and a faith unfeigned. First Peter 4 8, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Charity is the motivation and energy for godliness, for gratitude, for generosity, for endurance, for devotion, and for witnessing for the Lord. It's the motivation of it. It really is. Then let me say to you, God's book, the Holy Bible, never fails. Not in any circumstance. Not in any stage or age of life. The Bible was sufficient for me as a 15-year-old new believer. It is sufficient for me as a 56-year-old man within a week or so of 41 years of following the Lord. The Bible was sufficient for me when I preached my first message in a nursing home at the age of 16. It is still sufficient for me as I stand here before you as your pastor of 28 years and 9 months. The Bible was sufficient for my wife and I when we were a young dating couple. And it is sufficient for us as grandparents with 34 wedding anniversaries behind us. And then let me read to you Psalm 119, verse 128. Let it speak to you about your Bible, God's book, the Holy Bible. Therefore I esteem, I count of value. Here's what I think of it. Here's my estimation of it. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. So what's the Bible right about everything? Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And consequently, by the way, I hate every false way. Because it takes you away from truth. You have a Bible. It's God's book. God gave it. God preserved it. The breath of God's upon it. The fingerprint of God is evident on it. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It will not ever disappear. It will not ever lose its power. It will not ever lose its capacity to judge this world. It's the Word of God. You may trust it implicitly. You may love it thoroughly. You may learn it eternally. You may obey it diligently. And God will work His goodness in you through His Word. That's your Bible. That's God's Word. No wonder He said that, that He had magnified His Word above all His name. Quite, quite a statement, isn't it? Let's pray together tonight. Father, thank You for Your words. Thank You for this book. May we be people of this book. May we, maybe tonight in our hearts, reestablish an allegiance to Your book. May we approach it with a holy fear and an openness saying, Lord, change me through this book. May we be conformed to it. May Lighthouse Baptist, Lord, be truly a Bible-believing church. God, help me to do my part in that, both individually as a man living it and also as a pastor teaching it. Bless this invitation for your own honor, please. Amen. Let's stand together. Maybe you ought to come and say...
Right now is a good time for me to make a commitment to God's Word. Right now is a good time to open my heart, my spirit up to what God wants to teach me. Run to this one, run to that one for advice. How about getting back to the book? Being a truly biblical people. Why don't you come join these who are here?